0: Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing. And I have with me today a gentleman who has flipped over 100 houses already in his house flipping career. And I'm really excited for him to come share the secrets to his success and the tips and the things he's learned along the way. Because believe me, in 100 houses, you've learned a lot of things. So I'm so excited to welcome to the show Anson Young.
1: Hey, thank you. Thank you, Holly, for so having me. So
0: happy join us. Oh, so happy <laughs> to have you. Well, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of your background? Tell us about you know, where you came from, what you were doing before real estate, and how you got to where you are
1: today. Sure. Um, I started off as a, in IT, in information, information technology, as a network admin. And um, like everybody else, I got laid off in about 2003. So, I had a, kind of a crossroads choice. Do I want to double down on IT and go down that route, or do I want to do something else? And actually, I, you know, most people are like, oh, I did this one thing, and then, you know, everybody lived happily ever after. I actually started down the IT path again. And I got about halfway through my first certification for networking and um, decided, you know what, I hate corporate. I hate the cubicle. I hate just the politics of IT. And so, right then, I decided, you know what, I got to do something different. Um, A friend of mine handed me Rich Dad Poor Dad. um, Kind of just out of the blue, we had been talking about real estate and just different ways to kind of get out of the rat race. And he said, oh, speaking of rat race, here's a book about that. And so I read that book and literally I I finished the last page and I said, I'm doing this now. And it wasn't always an easy road from there, but um, we had moved to Phoenix at the time. So we had just landed in Phoenix, and I decided, you know what, new city, new start. Let's just, uh, you know, get this going in real estate. And it took me about a, a year before I got my first deal going. But in that time, I was doing work for other agents, work for investors, just trying to learn as much as I could about this whole crazy real estate thing that I didn't understand. And, um, you know, obviously, I've continued doing that. And that was uh, 2004 is when I first first started and i didn't get my first deal till about 2005.
0: Wow. So that took some patience and perseverance to hang in there. I mean, were you thinking of giving up at all
1: during that time? Um, not really. It's kind of like you're a little bit younger and a little bit more bullheaded and you know, I was I was determined to make it work. And you know, I I was working a little bit at the time just bartending, making ends men's meet. My wife was working at the time, so it's not like we were struggling or anything it's just struggling to get this whole thing off the ground and the proof of concept right like if you don't have a check in hand all the work that you're doing kind of feels like a waste but once you get that first check in your hand you're like oh my gosh and you look at it and you go this works and how do I repeat this how do I do this over and over again so
0: awesome well now that you kind of brought it up tell us about your first feel I always love to hear people's first feels
1: So my very first one, it was supposed to be, you know, Phoenix at the time had uh, like 40% appreciation a year and it was just going crazy. And so I think you could like throw a dart at a map and hit a deal that you're going to make money on eventually. Um, So I had an agent friend of mine who I was doing work for. She brought me this deal. Turns out, thinking back, I didn't know at the time, but. It was a, a, it's kind of a wholesale deal from one of her clients. And so, you know, they passed it on to me. Um, I was like, you know what? I think that there's upside in this. And so we closed on it with a conventional loan. We, um, I had no idea what I was doing. So I tried to rent it. I tried to lease option it. Um, And the whole time I'm just clueless. And we actually eventually, we, we looked at each other. We're like, this needs work. It's in a decent area this is our very first house, you know, we'd been renting up until that point, you know, this is the first house that we owned, why don't we just move into it and fix it up? So we did that, we moved in, Um, it took us a year, or it didn't take us a year, really, we did all the work, we lived in it, we lived in it for a year, and then we sold, because uh, to be honest, Phoenix is pretty terrible, Um, it's way too hot there, so we wanted to come back to Colorado, so we sold our house, Uh, we made about 60 grand, and so when we landed back in Denver, it felt like starting all over again because I didn't know the market, I didn't know what was going on, but at least I had a deal under my belt and you know, six sixty thousand dollars in my pocket. So it wasn't that bad.
0: Awesome. So sixty thousand, that is huge profit for the first deal. And okay, this is like the little nerdy accountant in me. Did you get to keep it all or have Have you lived in it more than two years? Was it tax-free or did you have to pay tax on it or what was
1: that? It wasn't tax-free because we we only lived there for a year. So we did end up paying um, tax on it, obviously. Uh, We rolled a big chunk of that into a down payment on a house that we uh, we bought in Denver. And um, yeah, so we didn't, unfortunately, we didn't get the two-year deal. Looking back, if we stayed maybe even a few months longer, you know, the market started cooling off right at the end of 2005, so we, you know, we might have been stuck there for years or had to sell at a loss or do a short sale if we stayed there for another year, because the market really started changing right when we sold.
0: Oh, I, I remember yeah. those, those uh, turning points. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, that was really smart of you. Sometimes it's not worth trying to time everything for taxes. Right. Versus like losing it all or not being able to escape the heat. If you know, I'm not a big fan of 120 degrees. and No. Yeah, quick quick little side note on that. One of my friends saw my car magnet on my car recently and said, "Wow, it comes off." She's like touching it and holding it because I had one on my car and it melted to the car. going what? <laughs> but she was from Phoenix. Yeah. Like amazed that my car magnet wasn't permanently melted to my car.
1: <laughs> it'll it'll do that. That's for, and I wish That's that that exactly. I wish that that transition was masterminded and I'm super smart and I saw the market changing, and um, but it, it was all just luck, just dumb luck. So we got out, we got in, we got out, we got paid. So
0: awesome. Well, tell us more about like um, maybe one of your favorite deals or your best deal.
1: That you so I I. I, I think that a lot of people use money as a metric. I mean, I could say, Hey, I did this deal and I made you know X amount of money. I like, um, I like deal stories. I like talking, you know, like when I'd meet investors, I kind of ask the same thing, you know, I'm the weird guy who's like, like tell me like the weirdest thing that happened or like the story. And so one of mine is um, a hoarder house that we did in North Denver um, it was a pre foreclosure. And we actually started by knocking on the door. And I say we as a partner and I, we started by knocking on the door, um, this nice older lady had come around the back. She didn't answer her front door, so that should have been like you know red flag number one, but Anybody? she came around the back <laughs> yeah. well, and this is also a place where it was it, it was is severely overgrown. it would have been a great uh, driving for dollars lead, but severely overgrown, but like the closer you got to the house, the more you can just smell the house from the outside and so that should have been kind of red flag number two but you know we start talking to her um you know she's interested in selling she kind of gives us her her payoff and you know she's like yeah i want to work with you guys i really need to do something obviously this is going to go to foreclosure and um i don't want that to happen so let's see what we can work out um we actually ended up uh coming up with a price that was pretty good it was about 110,000 and um and you know for the for what it was we're like that sounds pretty good but we need to get inside to you know Poke around, see what our rehab costs are going to be, and she kept resisting. She kept saying, "No, well, how about next week? How about the week after? I need to clean up. I need to tidy up a little bit." And so, you know, we had we we had time in the foreclosure, so we were like, "Okay, take your time. You know, we'll get in there when you're comfortable. We don't want to be pushy or anything." And so, um, when we like her sister finally called us, it's like, "Listen, um, I know you've been talking to my sister." And I got to tell you, it's the worst place that you're ever going to walk into. And so she keeps saying she's going to clean it up and everything, but no amount of cleanup is going to make it clean enough for her to have strangers in there. So, you know, she's like, I'm going to get you inside. And finally we got inside and it was, I mean, it's like four or five feet of, of trash. She wasn't hoarding like kittens and glitter. It was like trash and she had, uh, she had lots of cats. And so they were kind of doing their business all over the place. That's what you can smell from outside the house. And so, uh, anyways, we, uh, we ended up closing on that one and letting her stay for a few more weeks. Um, it ended up to be where she kind of had a a breakdown. She started cleaning stuff up and next thing we knew we got another call from her sister. She's like, you know, she's done. She, um, we kind of moved her into a, into a home where she could, uh, get better is is kind of the way they put it and so we sent our guys in and her sister would go through and pick up all the all the important stuff important papers and china and heirlooms and stuff they had and we just put everything into like 10 dumpsters and there was just i mean there's we i think we caught 10 cats we found like two dead cats um and just cleaned out this whole place but you know at the end You know, the house is what it is and the numbers were what they were. But at the end of the day, we got to help her deal with this situation that almost nobody else would have touched. Like your average agent would have run away screaming, your average buyer, you know, wouldn't have even touched it. And so we got to help her with this, you know, this crazy problem that ended up giving her, you know, kind of this mental breakdown. But, you know, she got to walk with some money. She didn't have to go to foreclosure. And we turned that house, believe it or not, into you know a nice livable place for you know a nice family to move into and so um just the stuff that we saw in that house it just I mean it, it is horrible but it it was a nice story at the end because she got the help that she needed and um you know a new family moved in. So what more can you ask for on that? Well
0: hey I think you win the prize for the worst ever cat house. I mean <laughs> I, we've definitely bought a lot of houses with um I mean sometimes they find rats and sure no rat poop in them and stuff but two dead cats and 10
1: live ones wow yeah it was uh I mean there was that and there was a a broken toilet situation where one of her like her toilets hadn't worked for she said probably about six months and so she had been using random buckets and stuff as as uh, for a bathroom so so I mean the story that has layers and layers to it but um so yeah between the cats and the in the buckets it was a it was a i mean i don't think we even got into the basement until after we bought it so i mean it could have been a nightmare down there with uh foundation issues and stuff but thankfully it wasn't so there's there's a lot to learn there like (laughs) for sure do
0: you happen to remember how much you made on that
1: one um at the end we did we did end up spending a little bit more on rehab than we initially um budgeted like we replaced the entire um all the ducting for the HVAC, cause it was full of just stuff that had gone down the vents. And, um, and we actually ended up replacing all of the ceiling and all of the uh, insulation, but we still ended up making right around 60,000 on that one.
0: Wow, awesome.
1: Yeah, so, so it worked out just fine. It was just, uh, you know, it was a lot of work. I think we put like 70 grand into it, so. Oh
0: yeah, well, I'm just curious. I love to know the cost of things around the country. Sure. Dumpsters here, like the cheapest dumpster, like a 30 yarder that I've ever gotten is like 400. I think that's a big score if I get it for 400, but they've been typically more like seven to 800. for Oh a 30 my gosh. dumpster. How much do you guys pay? Wow. For a dumpster? Do you have
1: so, so 40 yard is 450. Um, 30 yard is 400. And oh, so, okay. so it's not, I mean, it's still, it's still tough, especially if you're doing 10 dumpsters worth. And that's yeah. not our first, that's not our first 10 dumpster house, but, um, but yeah, each, you know, paying double like you do 800 would be pretty brutal. So
0: that's like, that is so shocking to me. Like when we fill the dumpsters, I'm like, how did all of that fit in that little house? You're just like shocked. I mean, we're, I'm doing one right now, just in the last week and the homeowner started it. He's so proud of himself. He got the little three yard dumpster. Cause that's Ooh. all. Ooh. That's all he wanted to handle at a time. Mm. I mean, it's probably been dumped about ten times, and then <laughs> I went and put some more trash with my kids, and we got a couple more dumps out of it. But yeah, you know, I mean, some people—that's all they can handle. Like, it's just too unfathomable to fill up, you know, a forty-yard dumpster that you walk in and fill up. So. Oh
1: yeah, and in, in the and the neighbors who. You know use your dumpster to throw away their old treadmill or couch and stuff so don't you love that You're
0: yeah like, thanks dude thank yeah. for filling up like a big chunk of my dumpster it's not free you know
1: yeah leave me a check thanks <laughs> I say this
0: isn't colorado you know it's expensive here
1: <laughs> that's a, yeah there you go exactly yeah
0: well why don't you um give us some of some of your best advice that that you've um you know developed over the years you've learned so much from all your flips so give some words of wisdom to our new and starting flippers
1: so I, I think when you're when you're kind of starting out um like especially in a new being a new investor that you know the first learning curve is pretty brutal and i think that people um aren't patient enough to you know do the work it's like um, you want to be the guy who's doing 20 deals a year today but you got to start somewhere and so i think that there's um there's a patience factor there's a um, consistency factor that's also tough. Like consistently doing the the marketing, uh, even if you're not getting the results that you you know that you want. Everybody wants to send out you know their first mailing and get ten deals. Well, it doesn't typically work that way. At least not here. Uh, you can always luck out and get a deal you know your first mailing, but more likely it's going to be six to eight mailings before you start getting good traction on your on your campaigns, um, especially in a tougher market like. Denver or Seattle or Portland. And so there's that staying consistent, even though the results aren't there yet, you're, you're, you're trying to rush it. And so also being patient through that whole thing. And I think that the, the last thing would be, you know, pay attention to the market, Um, try and, and shift before the market shifts out from under you and doing this since 2005, you know, we used to do, all MLS deals, we just, you, you know, REO deals. And then when REO started going away, it was short sales. When short sales started drying up, um, if you didn't shift to off market and you're still an MLS buyer, you're, you're out of business probably at this point, at least in my market, um, if you're not doing you know, direct to seller. What's next? I'm not sure. I don't have that crystal ball, but I'm always on the lookout for where's the market shifting next? You know, is... Right now, selling flips is super easy. Um, Selling anything is super easy. And so, paying attention to days on market, paying attention to price reductions and inventory helps me set up success for my next projects because those things could start, you know, the markets could start loosening up. And then now I have more competition. I have longer days on market. My numbers will look different than three to six months ago. So, always be on the lookout for those market shifts, too. So, those are kind kind of my three pieces of advice
0: those are awesome and i remember we have a local guru by the name of bruce norris who is super into i'm going to call him super nerd in a very affectionate way he loves to analyze charts and graphs and create charts and graphs of data to interpret and predict the real estate market which he's pretty darn good at and i just heard him speak last week and I'm not a big fan of watching the charts and graphs. I just want him to tell me what it means and what to do. Do I sell the rentals yet? Are we okay to keep going? You know, and he's saying our Southern California market is strong and there's no indicators of an upcoming crash in Southern California. That's what he focuses on. So I mean, my advice too is find the local experts and listen to them and network with people. Don't work in your little bubble and think it's gonna stay the same because you are exactly right. I had to do a huge shift from buying at the courthouse steps, trustees. Yeah. Our first hundred houses, we bought that way. And then that just fell off a cliff. The opportunity was gone. When the big hedge funds moved in and way overpaid for everything, like, okay, well, that well is dry. What's next? And then I started, you know, networking with realtors to go find fields. Sure. So you've got to be able to to turn and pivot or you die. You're done. Like, yeah. you can't use the same strategy for you know, usually more than a few years. So, I'm mean, right. good for you for being able to pivot and stay in.
1: And and Bruce is super famous. I mean, I've heard of him and and know <laughs> You've that even heard there. of him. <laughs> yeah, he's the he's the Southern California. He's got the crystal ball and knows what knows what's going on. So that's I awesome. That's awesome. Yeah,
0: I gotta have him on my podcast soon. Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, what do you have in the way of advice on negotiations? And do you have any stories of success? or failure but not really failure but maybe where you learn something because i'm a big believer and it's not win or lose it's win or learn and as a new investor we do more learning sometimes than winning right we get better oh, yeah. and better so what t- give us some advice on negotiations and what you learn
1: so my my big thing with negotiation is um you know i've I'm not like super learned when it comes to I've read a thousand negotiation books, and I mean I've probably read a handful two or three but my my natural style is um, rapport over everything, and so um, you know especially in a distressed situation or you know a lot of the things that we target are are distressed in some way or other, so they're in trouble or they need help. Um, they may not know that they need to sell right now, but um, so this this rapport piece. Can win you deals over, you know, over price even. So you might have two people coming in on the same house, two investors, and whereas I've built a relationship there, and um, somebody else, the other guy has not. You know, a lot of times, the seller's like, "I trust you. I like, you know, you've you've been with me this whole time, and you've you know listened to my story about my kids, and you know we talked about, um, you know, the Broncos and whatever it else it is," and this other guy just comes in and talks numbers and and doesn't build that connection. And a lot of times I'll win deals over the other guy, even though my offer isn't as good. And so I think that just that natural connection, if you're if you're there to help first, the money follows. And so if you're there just for the money or you're super desperate, it's weird how people can sense that, um, kind of like a sixth sense, like, oh, this guy needs this money to pay his rent or to make his car payment, like and he's super just uh, needy, if you're kind of laid back and you're building rapport and you're there to help, um, that's kind of my natural negotiation style. And I think, you know, you, you'll have referrals and you'll have friends and you'll have a lot of things at the end of the day and um, over just the money. And so it's it, it's huge. Sorry, my dogs are going. You
0: have long. your assistant. Your do- What's your dog's <laughs> name? You got to mention
1: it now. <laughs> I got Izzy and Ginger. Uh, Cause my, my wife just went to go pick up my son from school. So, so now they're like, Oh, what happened? Where'd she go? So, (laughs) so that, that's kind of my thing is like, you can read all the books and you can get, you know uh, you you can become the, the, the slickest salesman known to man. But if you're not there to build a relationship and to actually win their trust and win rapport um, you're going to have a hard time or you're going to feel not be able to sleep at night or, you know, I don't know. I've, I've, I've seen guys of that style and I don't know, you know, how they, I, I don't know how they how, how many friends or, <laughs> or how they're yeah. married. It's just, you know, just kind of weird personality to, to be that slick salesman. If you're just natural, you're there to help, you're there to build rapport, then I, I think you'll win every time. So.
0: Yeah. People can definitely sense that. And I take that same approach of building rapport and caring about people. Beyond just dealing with sellers, I do it with you know whoever I'm interacting with, the contractors or realtors, whatever. Just be a nice person and care about people. And it is gonna get you far. Like you're gonna have so much more success and be so much happier if you're Absolutely. just kind and compassionate and you help and care about people. And even if you're kind of like floundering at the beginning and you're not this all polished and professional person and you're like kind of maybe stumbling, if you're just kind, and helpful, you might still win out over the slick guy that's done hundreds of deals and absolutely definitely still win over. Yeah, it.
1: sometimes they, you know, sometimes the seller wants to help out the little guy or the guy who's, you know, the guy who's like, like, oh, I'm a one man operation and I'm here to help. And then the other guy shows up and he's like, oh, I've got a team of ten people and we buy a hundred a month. You know, they might be like, I want to use the, I want to use. You know, I want to help this guy out. <laughs> Plus, he's way he's way nicer. So
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. Okay, well, another thing I know you have experience with that I'd love you to um, touch on a little bit is about direct mail. And yeah. for our listeners, um, Anson has generously given us a, um, he's gonna give us a free PDF download of this seven, okay, seven deadly direct mail mistakes. Can't be my own writing here. <laughs> seven deadly direct mail mistakes. So he's gonna send that over. So Anson, pick one of those and let's elaborate on that Um, right now. Go ahead and tell
1: us what you think kind of the worst one is. Yeah. So um, I don't know if it's the worst one. I think, you know, I think I would have ranked them in order of uh, best to worst, but it's kind of a do not do list instead of a do list. And so one of them, um, number four on there is um, don't be too repetitive. And I think that people – it, it's so much easier just to send out like the same exact postcard every single month to the same people, and and um, and you just come off as a robot. You come off as just you know like eh, like I don't care what you're reading. Like you're just gonna read it every month, and I don't I don't care. Or somebody who just sends out the same exact yellow letter with the same exact verbiage. It's like people aren't dumb. They're gonna get that every month. They're gonna open it up, and they're you know, does that help build trust? Does that help build rapport? Does that help your brand at all? If you're just sending the same exact thing over and over, is somebody going to respond on the 10th month of getting the 10th exact letter from you? And so, you know, obviously the, the, the to do to take away from that is to vary up, you know, vary what you're sending, vary your message, build your message on each other. So by like month three, they they've read, hopefully they've read month one and two, three builds on that. It might say something like, like, hey, I haven't heard from you yet. I'm still interested in, you know, buying your house. Uh, I can help you out. So it's not just the same robotic, like the same exact thing every single month. And so I like to vary up the message and I like to vary up the medium. So I'm not sending the same exact, you know, letter every month. I might send a postcard, you know, a professional letter, a handwritten letter, um, mm-hmm. and then just vary that so that people see that you're real, that you're, you know, that you're a uh, that you actually care about what you're sending. You're not just blasting it out and hoping for the best and blasting out the same exact thing every time. So
0: that sounds like great advice. So do you put pictures of your dogs or your family?
1: <laughs> I need to. Um, I, I do have friends who do uh, the dog mailer and um, they do pretty well with it. And now that we have uh, two dogs, one of them is pretty new. So nah, I'm, I'm I'm thinking of, I'm thinking about it. I think that that, you know, people relate to that. They're like, Hey, Izzy and Ginger want to buy your house, and they're like, "Oh,
0: how cute!" <laughs> I'm like, "I like
1: dogs too, you know." So,
0: yes, who doesn't love a cute dog? Yeah, one yeah, of my yeah, friends yeah. sends out direct mail and puts a picture of him and his wife and his cute kids. They're like, you know, eight and ten. I love getting Like, oh, that's what they look like. Yeah, you know, it's so cute. He said, no, it's me because it's in an entity that he doesn't know. So I get it. Like I think it's so fun when I get him, you know? <laughs> yeah,
1: that's, that, that's a great way to connect to people on that level. That's just like building rapport before they even talk to you. They're like, Oh, I have yeah. kids too.
0: I'm <laughs> still not going to sell my house at a deep discount, but hey, I like getting his cute family <laughs> pictures. Somebody else might get excited to see his cute family pictures that's and right. then they call him because what a cute little family that is. That's right. <laughs> so is direct mail your primary method of acquisition right now?
1: It's, um, I kind of have a top three. One is, um, I, don't, I don't call it just direct mail, it's direct to seller. So it's however you can get in front of that seller, um, cold calling, door knocking, uh, direct mail, um, you know, getting in front of them on the internet, whether it's email or um, targeting them through ads, like that kind of direct, direct to seller is a big piece. The next one is networking. And then the third one is referrals. So those are obviously a little bit, more uh, takes takes a little bit more time. They all take time, but uh, networking referrals definitely take time and trust to build up with these other people who you're relying to bring you um, deals or clients or refer their aunt to you or whoever that is. You have yeah. to kind of build that trust and build that build that up over time for sure.
0: And how much do you spend a month on your mail campaigns? If you don't mind sharing,
1: um, the amount I spend. Let's see. I can tell you how many I send. I send about twenty five hundred. And I think that my cost on that is um, maybe just under two grand, I think. So, okay. so 2,500 pieces. Um, so it's not a lot. I'm not one of those huge volume, send out 50,000 and hope for the best. Um, I really try to niche down and target my list so I'm not just wasting my time just sending out stuff that, to, you know, to highly competitive lists. I don't, you know, I don't try to uh, be one of 20 people. I want to be one of one would be ideal, but one of maybe four or five, you know, lower competition lists for sure.
0: Smart, really smart. Okay. Well, we're just about, um, needing to wrap up here. So listeners, if you want to go get his seven deadly direct mail mistakes, go ahead on over to my website at hardhatholly.com forward slash 69. We are on episode 69 and you can also text the word hard hat, yes, we're pretending it's all one word with no spaces, hard hat to the number 38470. That's 38470. You text hard hat to that. We'll send you this week's download and a link to all the prior ones so you can get Anson's great information. Now, Anson, how do people get in touch with you, learn about you, and talk about, I um, want you to tell about this book that you did with bigger pockets.
1: Yeah. Um... Probably one of the best places to get a hold of me is is through BiggerPockets, just uh, biggerpockets.com slash users slash Anson. Um, that's a good way uh, to get a hold of me and connect. Um, and the book I wrote is uh, is published by BiggerPockets. It's called Finding and Funding Great Deals. And it takes you from zero all the way to the closing table. And then even beyond that a little bit in how to repeat the process. So. It's not a fix and flip book. It's not a rental book. It's not a house hacking book, but it's all those in one. So it just gets you to the closing table. What you do with it after that, I don't really care, but it gets you there. So, you know, targeting your market, how to, you know, reach sellers, how to network with agents, um, how to analyze deals from ARV to repairs. Um, how to negotiate there's a there's a big negotiation section a big funding section obviously since it's in the title and then um all the way through like i said to the closing table just all all the way to the end and then you know if you want to go burn it down after that i don't care but i got you there so so we're we're good
0: (laughs) that book sounds awesome i can't wait to get my hands on it that sounds awesome i love learning from other people too and wouldn't you agree that no matter how many deals you do you're still learning
1: Oh, absolutely. I think the minute you think that you've arrived or that you're not, you're, if you're done learning and you know it all, I think you're setting yourself up huge for failure. Absolutely. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. You gotta be coachable. You gotta be open-minded, ready to learn. I'm always like wanting to learn and soak up from other people. I mean, last night I was on a little panel at a local real estate club and one of the girls, there's three of us ladies up front and I have my journal notebook ready to take notes. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, I'm taking notes because you ladies know more than I do about some of this stuff. I mean, there's always people to learn
1: from. Exactly. So, if yeah. Be yep. open-minded. Absolutely.
0: Well, thank you so much today for being on the podcast. You're awesome. I mean, I'd love to have you back and hear some more of your great stories. Absolutely. Hopefully, Anytime. Um, you know, maybe less dead animals in them, but hey, we'll take <laughs> them all. <laughs> so, yeah. So, listeners, get out there and connect with Anson on Bigger pockets and go get his book. It sounds amazing and written from the perspective and experience uh, that he's had in real life. It's not just somebody writing a bunch of junk that hasn't done it. He's lived through it and worked through it all. So That's go right. get the book. <laughs> well, thank you again for your time, Anson. And listeners, get out there, take some action, and go have some great success.